Please listen carefully. Hello, universe. Welcome to the Optimist Daily Update. I'm Summers McKay. And I'm Christy Jansen. And we are part of the team behind the Optimist Daily, making solutions the news. We bring you reader-funded solutions news every day in order to change the tenor of news media, social media, and the direction of your day to help us all get focused on solutions. Seven days a week, we publish positive news stories written by award-winning journalists and delivered online to your inbox and through our social channel. And also, we are sharing these solutions in a commute-worthy, walk-worthy, home office-worthy, Star Wars fans-worthy podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 4th of May, 2022. May the 4th be with you, Summers. <laughs> oh, Christy, may the 4th be with you, too. We are such nerds <laughs> here at The Optimist Daily. Did we end up, I think a newsletter went out with a Yoda quote this morning. If not, I think we should make sure there's a Yoda quote somewhere on our socials today. I agree. I agree. We've written about the ultimate optimism of Star Trek before on The Optimist Daily, but there is definitely some optimism in the Star Wars world too, right? Triumph of good over evil and wisdom and, you know, intergalactic communities working together. Family. <laughs> Family. <laughs> brothers and sisters. Challenging fam brothers and sisters falling in love. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> Speaking of this, uh, LeVar Burton, uh, one of our headlines today, we're not there yet, but mm -hmm. LeVar Burton mm -hmm. is receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at the new Children's Emmys. LeVar Burton played a key role on Star Trek The Next Generation. So we're sort of got the whole space theme. Yep. Summers, are you Star Trek or are you Star Wars? Probably more Star Trek than Star Wars because I had my first job, my first internship was working at StarTrek.com. <laughs> I remember you talking. Right. And I had to just watch all of the episodes of Star Trek and transcribe them. And that was my summer internship. So I became very, very nerdy on that front. What about you? Star Trek or Star Wars? I would say I'm, I'm, I, I lean Star Trek. Yeah. I'm more of a Trekker. I love Star Wars too. I wonder if that also has to do with our age. Star Wars was a real big deal. And I remember doing a midnight showing of The Empire Strikes Back or something when I was a really little kid. I mean, I remember that was like a big thing. We were so excited about it coming out. Mm -hmm. Maybe it wasn't just me. Maybe it was my adult caretakers at the time. <laughs> I mean, I think for me as a child, child, I missed Star Wars in theaters. The first one. Yeah. like And Star Trek was always on television sort of the duration of my childhood. Yeah. Okay, but we, we're kind of out of this world in our discussion right now, but I feel like we should bring it back <laughs> to solutions today. Let's do that. Do you want to take on yours first? I don't know. I think we should actually, yours is a bigger story. I think let's, let's, let's do your okay. headline. All right, we'll take on mine. My headline is a big emotional and personal story for many in this world. My headline reads, Connecticut expands abortion rights to balance new wave of restriction. In response to the surge of new measures to restrict abortion access, and in some cases imposing criminal penalties on those who perform them or seek them, lawmakers in Connecticut approved a bill that would expand the kinds of medical practitioners who can offer abortion services within the state and protect residents from facing penalties under other states' anti-abortion laws. I live in Texas. We have an unbelievably restrictive draconian law that greatly impacts women's health. 
But under this new bill in Connecticut, advanced practice registered nurses, nurse midwives, and physicians' assistants would be permitted to conduct medication and aspiration abortions in Connecticut. According to a recent report from the Guttmacher Institute, a research group that supports reproductive rights, 33 abortion restrictions have been authorized in nine states in 2022 so far, and only 11 measures protecting abortion access have been passed in seven states. So we have seven states working for it, nine states inhibiting women's health, and at least we're all getting into the conversation. Well done for Connecticut. The uh, quote from Connecticut State Senator Steve Cassano said, as other states pass increasingly restrictive bills, we are countering those bills by protecting residents and visitors alike from others seeking to persecute them. Under House Bill 5414, people or organizations in Connecticut who are being sued for receiving, performing, or otherwise helping abortions to take place in other states can counter sue for damages and other costs. This bill is waiting signature from Governor Ned Lamont, who pledged she would sign the bill into law, according to the Hartford Courant. I, you know, have been very open with sharing that my life was saved by an abortion. I had a pregnancy six years ago. I knew something was not right. I could not find a doctor anywhere in the new community I was in who would take a new patient as quickly as I needed them to take me. I ended up in Planned Parenthood to have an abortion, and it was discovered that I had an ectopic pregnancy, which would have killed me or could have killed me had it not been identified. Access to women's health and reproductive rights is really so imperative, and so many women's experiences really, you know, I, I'm just very frustrated by this, Christy, and I feel like we, more of us just have to be really straightforward about what our experiences are and why this matters. We do need to be, and I guess part of what's prompting us deciding to talk about this article today is yesterday's headlines about the leaked decision coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court indicating that they are going to be overturning the Roe v. Wade uh, law and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, the various laws which have been on the books for 50 years or so, saying that there's a constitutional right to abortion. It's a matter of privacy between a woman and her doctor and not um, something for the state to unduly restrict. And that is being overturned most likely, although it's not definitive yet. But in the meantime, mm -hmm. these states, this article talks about, are passing anti-abortion legislation, which make it actually illegal and prosecutable. Connecticut's on the other side. To be honest, I also have had an abortion um, when I was a young college student and I found myself pregnant and unmarried and in college. And it was just not the right time. And I had an abortion. And um I don't have the, the justification that you have. My life was in danger, although it, it was just not, it was not planned and it wasn't, it would have been a hard thing to do for me at that time. Um, well, and Chrissy, you don't, you don't need to, you know, justification as a young unmarried woman who is in her academic pursuits, who is at the beginning of a life and doesn't feel that she can support a child is 
justification enough, you know, forced pregnancy is an incredibly dangerous and abusive tactic on women. And I know that for many, the decision to either terminate a pregnancy or continue with the pregnancy, both are equally, equally challenging and hard. I am incredibly fortunate that my birth mother, who was a young woman, did continue with her pregnancy. I am, I am grateful that I am here on this earth. I am also grateful that she always had a choice. And the absence of choice is not acceptable. It is not a good health practice. Well, and then the the irony is that we don't have any kind of real assistance for women who do, you know, end up deciding to have babies. There's a very li- limited medical assistance in some of these same places mm-hmm. that are making it illegal to end pregnancy. There's uh, also kind of a punitive sense that if you don't work, then you're not eligible for support. <laughs> and if you're a person who- Many, many people who who do work also don't receive healthcare. Right, exactly. High quality healthcare. There's no state or government mandated maternity leave. There's no paid protection. There's no parenting support. It's not a society that, you know- is supporting this. Yeah. So women's healthcare, if you want to be family friendly, then let's also give family leave. Let's also give uh, assistance to mm-hmm. for families. Let's get the child yeah. tax credit yeah. back maybe. If we, um, and we're here in the US. Some of our listeners are not. But I like that you chose this article. It, it brings up a lot of uh, painful Yeah outrage emotions and it's hard to be optimistic. Um, but this is an optimistic step yeah. to me. And uh, I mean, women's health matters. Well, and I, I think that I chose this story because yesterday I found so many of my friends inflamed on social media um, because of outrage. And when amidst outrage at the Optimist Daily, we look for solutions. And this is a solution. This is a policy solution. This is a counter effort. And this and more solutions we can continue to come up with. So, Christy, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for continuing to endeavor to find optimism in what can be a very hard situation. So, are there other headlines today? Should we shift focus? There are. All right. Let's shift focus. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I'll just do a real quick touch on the headline that I was planning to talk about. Mm-hmm. The headline reads, this ancient enzyme can boost photosynthesis and crop yield. And just to refresh everybody what photosynthesis is, it's turning carbon dioxide, water, and light into oxygen and sugars, which is the natural process by which plants sustain themselves. And by doing so, sustain us because that's where the oxygen and our atmosphere comes from. That is where the the sugars and the food and the carbohydrates that we eat, which helps us sustain our bodies. That's thanks to the plants themselves. And it's what has allowed life to flourish on the planet that we live on. Talking about bringing carbon out of the atmosphere, <laughs> plants are some of the best uh, best engines that can do that. But in the atmosphere that we currently help to create, where there is an overabundance of atmospheric carbon dioxide, which is leading to climate change. And it's put a a strain on food production and on plant success in this changing climate because it's changed so rapidly. Some plants don't do as well in this highly carbon-rich atmosphere. We have to think about this, and especially when you think about 
feeding the the planet. There's another article today about renewables being wind and solar made up 18% of US energy last month, which is, I think, a milestone. And that article talks a little bit about the war in Ukraine, which is also basically a breadbasket for the world. The conflict there has also limited fertilizer availability for many parts of this world. Another real issue, we have to come up with solutions on how to make enough food to support the 8 billion people who live on this planet. So this is a solution that is coming out of Cornell University, a group of scientists there, which have come up with an enzyme-based solution to boosting crop yields. They're focusing on Rubisco, which is the most abundantly found protein on earth. And it's part of the plants and it has to do with how plants catalyze the energies that create photosynthesis. It's a key enzyme. And in fact, apparently every person has about, every adult person I imagine has around five kilograms of Rubisco in their bodies by mass. So it's a pretty substantial protein, a key enzyme in this world. And so adjusting this by finding an ancient version of Rubisco, they were able to sort of genetically track down a version of this enzyme that was more abundant back in the days 20, 30 million years ago when there was a carbon dioxide rich atmosphere. So ancient versions of this enzyme, which were very well adapted to work in environments with high levels of uh, CO2, can be sort of replicated in today's plants. Hmm. Yes, it's genetically engineered. Genetically modified, but this is what this group of researchers is trying to do: is by using an enzyme that is more suited to the environment, it it actually increases the efficiency. It helps the plants become bigger, more food for the world. It decreases the number of greenhouse gases in the air by absorbing more of the carbon dioxide. It's an interesting process. They're testing it out first on tobacco, which is a plant that is very commonly used and we know a lot about in terms of how to raise it, but it, it's not eaten right now. So, mm-hmm. But they do plan to then take it to the next level. They'll test it in plants like tomatoes, rice, soybeans. And the goal is, according to Maureen Hansen, who's one of the lead authors, she's talking about replacing the genes of existing Rubisco enzyme in tobacco with these ancestral sequences. They're using CRISPR technology and then measuring how that affects the production of the biomass. And to quote Maureen Hansen, she says, we certainly hope that our experiments will show that by adapting Rubisco to present day conditions, we will have plants that will give greater yields. And perhaps this will help solve food production concerns and that was an airplane. I don't know if you heard it, Summers, but... And then it sounded like Tucker snored. <laughs> and then Tucker just hit a snore. I'm, I'm having an yeah. audio cacophony here in my little home office. But This is pod perfection here at the Optimus Daily today. <laughs> I like this story because, once again, this whole notion of genetically modified being bad is sort of silly because everything that we eat, we've been genetically modifying things that we grow and curate unless all you do is forage. So we've been doing that since, you know, the dawn of contemporary civilization, but doing it in a way that has less of an impact on the environment and instead can increase yields and, and feed our planet is a really good thing. It just reminds you how how ingenious the human species is. And we're always trying mm-hmm. to solve problems. And I think that's one of the things I love about what we do is we're always looking for the people, the places, the, the problem-solving solution mindset and how it's being uh, played out in different locations. So- 
Yeah. Well, we've got some other great headlines. These smart glasses display speech caption to deaf wearers. An asteroid deflection system is planned to launch in 2025. And as Christy mentioned, actor LeVar Burton will receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the new Children's Emmys. What else, Christy? Well, there's two new DC public schools modeling net zero education. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll go read that article, find out. Six health benefits of fishing. Ah, we talked about archery last week, so here's a fishing story. Dutch startup purifies air in urban areas by wrapping buildings in moss. They've taken moss in jars way bigger. <laughs> yes. And uh, as I mentioned before, last month, wind and solar made up 18% of all U.S. energy. That and more on today, Wednesday, May the 4th, on the Optimist Daily. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Thanks so much for being here and listening to us ramble on on all these different problems and their solutions. That's it for us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Consider becoming an emissary on TheOptimistDaily.com and be part of the solution changing consciousness and addressing our world's biggest challenges with a problem-solving mindset. We'll be back tomorrow with more solutions. Today is Wednesday, the 4th of May, 2022. No, no, it's you have to say Wednesday, May, May the 4th. When, well... I was kind of queuing it up for you to then respond and say, may the fourth be with you, Summer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>